You're listening to Islam always and we're broadcasting always. 24 hours a day, every single day. And you can find us online always at islamalways.com. Sites open 24 hours a day and always plenty of free parking. Now that I got all the commercials out of the way, we'll get started with our program. Many people have been asking us about how can we share Islam, which in Arabic to share or to invite, actually invite people to come and share with you your food or a festival or anything. To do such a thing is called da'wah. Da'wah. It has in the middle of it, but I'm not real good with that, so just da'wah, whatever. But when we have this kind of a situation where we're trying to invite people to a message, the message of worshiping God alone without partners, la ilaha illallah, then in the middle of this, that somebody would attack Islam or say something very harsh, and how do I respond to that? What should I say? And it puzzled me in the beginning because uh, I couldn't imagine that I'm offering somebody something nice and they're being very rude, you know. It's strange people would do such a thing. So how do I react? The first time I heard somebody say something really, really evil to me and I was standing there giving this person some uh, juice and some cookies like this and we were standing in the intermission of a program we had in the university and this person well he's standing there and we're given such a nice dawah invitation to this person he said a horrible thing he asked a question what do you say about a 53 year old man having sex with a 6 year old girl I said what kind of statement is such a thing as this I can't imagine somebody would even say such a thing especially in an occasion like this and what's he talking about and how should I respond and when it dawned on me what he's trying to imply and then I became very upset and you know shaitan comes to your mind the devil comes in your mind immediately and you feel like I want to hit this guy for saying something like this but this is not in our way as Muslim people did worse things to our beloved prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They treated him with much more disrespect than they're treating us. They treated him much harsher than we are being treated. They did everything to him. Did anybody spit on you lately? No, I don't think so. Did anybody shoot an arrow into your face lately? I don't think so. Did anybody throw rocks on you until you were bleeding so much it was filling up your sandals or your shoes with blood? No. I don't think so. But in spite of and in light of these very severe abuses, the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing be upon him, responded in such a beautiful way, an amazing way, that what happened when he had the occasion at Ataif, which is not too far from Mecca, when he went there to tell these people about this message of worshipping God without partners just God alone when he went there with this message they were so rude to him they wouldn't even allow him to sit with them 
They wouldn't allow him to have what we call audience, to have a chance to deliver his message. They made fun of him and ridiculed him, joking like, well, you know what, if he's a prophet of God and we don't know, maybe ha ha ha, and if he's not a prophet, ha ha ha, we waste our time with a fool, ha ha ha. And then they turned the, the children of the street against him, throwing rocks on him and his companion. And they had to run away. Bleeding. I don't know the society you grew up in, but I think it's pretty much well known from around the world when people throwing rocks on you. This is like one of the worst kind of punishments there is, is to stone somebody. In fact, in the Bible, this is a punishment of a kind of death, stoning somebody to death. It's mentioned in Christianity and Judaism is a horrible punishment. So what would you do? What would I do? Yet look what he did. Peace and blessing be upon him. When the angel came to him and said, Allah is ready to bring the mountains crashing down on these people. Because they lived in the mountain area. Just say the word. And you know what he said? No. Instead, he prayed for these people. Can you do that? Can you pray for somebody that's attacking you? Physically hurting you? And you can pray for them? And he said something which translates to English, meaning that he prays and asks God to guide them and hopes from these people there will be those fine outstanding people who will also call to this same message, worship God, your creator and your sustainer, without any partners. It's been mentioned that one of the people from these very people in Ataif became a Muslim and carried the message all the way to India. For sure, many of the people of Ataif even today are some of the best of the Muslims that I've known. I've met them, obviously. I have one friend there now who has came to the United States and he got his degree at the university and when he went back, uh, he stayed in touch with us, by the way, and uh, they're very, very good people. He has something like 40 camels. Is that interesting? I don't even have one camel, huh? It's amazing. So, the point I'm trying to make is about our attitude. And what should be my attitude? My attitude has to be an attitude of gratitude. Even in the face of this kind of rebuttal or abusing. When these people do such a thing as this, it's not really their fault in many cases. Not some, some it is. The one who I was talking to, he knew. He spoke Arabic and he was, you know, from Egypt and he wanted to purposely try to start a fight. He did that uh, intentionally. But most of the time when people do this, they're ignorant and they don't know. So when they come and they say something like this, it's because of their ignorance and their ignorance is because somebody hasn't carried the message to them. Earlier we spoke about the message needing to be go out, to get out to the people. And who should do it? Who's the responsible one to deliver such a message as this? Is it the responsibility of a Buddhist to carry the message of Islam? A Hindu should carry the message of La ilaha illallah? A Christian should be telling people about Muhammad. A Jew should be telling people about the Quran. Which is it? And I think we know the answer is actually, it's our responsibility. And if we don't do the job, who will? 
The message will get to the people one way or the other, but it could get to them in a very tough way, twisted way. And then it's a lot harder for you, isn't it? Why don't we just do it to start with? So now let's come to this uh, particular example that I gave you tonight. Somebody says to you, what do you say about a 53-year-old man who has sex with a six-year-old girl? Now, before you ponder it too long, I will tell you the answer is real simple. In Islam, this person needs to be killed. It's as simple as that. He has no right walking on the street because it said real clear in the question. Listen to the question. Sex. Provided the person is a married person uh, according to Islam. And by the way, it's the same in the Old Testament of the Quran, the same way. A married person going out and having sex with anybody because it's forbidden to have sex. There's no such thing as, as this unless it's marriage. In which case, it's none of anybody's business to ask such a question, is it? What do you say about a person who has sex with their own wife? It's just not your business, is it? <laughs> but if you're just asking about sex, a person does such a thing as this, this is horrible. And if it's an immature child, if it's an immature child, then this is forbidden totally. It's mentioned even in the Quran, not only just about sex, you can't even get married to an immature child. It says so in the Quran. It's in chapter 4, verse 19 of the Quran. On Nisa, O you who believe, it's forbidden for you to inherit women against their will. It's the same chapter, chapter 4, in the very beginning, telling you about the little orphan girls. You can't marry these girls. You can't even marry these girls until they're old enough because you can't inherit them against their will. You can't take their property away from them through marriage. Because people used to do that. It was common. You see, the problem for the Muslims today is we didn't study anything at all about Islam. Okay? We learned a few Arabic words. Learned to say our prayers. Heard a few speeches. Picked up a couple of tapes here and there. And uh, maybe, maybe attended a conference where we spent most of the time walking around looking at pictures. And who knows what else. And considered that we know something about Islam. But in reality, you'll find Islam is presenting the very solution to the problem that this person had brought to me. Let us consider why such a question in the first place. Why would somebody ask about sex like this? Just talking to you like that. I mean, this is kind of rude anyway to just bring up such a, a subject, is it? Isn't it rude? And why in that tone of voice, as though what? Any person should have the same answer, shouldn't they? What do you say about any person having sex with a six-year-old girl? This is a horrible thing. Regardless of their age. Even if it's a six-year-old boy with a six-year-old girl, this is, uh, this is bad. They shouldn't be doing such a thing, should they? Islam forbids except in marriage and marriage is not permissible until they're mature enough to have children. Is that true? Yes. Problem is the mentality of the people of the West 
has degenerated to such a low level that they have transposed some of their own problems over into Islam. When they look at Islam, they're bringing their own predisposition with them. I mean by that. For those who live in the West, we know about this. When we go to the grocery store in the checkout line and we're standing there waiting to get next to put our basket up there to put the stuff up on the little conveyor belt, there are many magazines and newspapers. They're not newspapers. They're trash papers. They're only fit for when you get a new kitten or puppy or something to put this paper down for them. Or if you have birds in the bottom of the bird cage, it's only fit for this. Unless the bird can read, in which case you don't want to put it there. That's called sun and star and inquire. These kinds of tabloids, they call them. They're not fit for children to see. They should have a rating for these like they do for the movies. But if they did, then they couldn't sell them anywhere in public, you know. And a lot of it's crazy stuff. Boy born with alligator tail. Elvis found the live on the moon. Things like this. And, and I don't know who would believe such a thing as any of this anyway. But you'll see on there, uh, a six-year-old girl gives birth to quintuplets. You know, weird stuff. And on one occasion, when I was thinking of this very subject... I happened to be in the grocery store with my wife. We were checking out. And I was standing there looking at the tabloids. Every single tabloid and even women's magazines and things had the word S-E-X on the front page. Big letters. Every single one of these magazines and tabloids had this word at least once. And one of them had it three times. And that was a, actually a magazine for young women. And I can't repeat to you here in the masjid what it said on the cover. So yes, I can understand why these people would come with such a question because this is where their mind is. And I feel sorry for them because their thinking of sex is so sick and bizarre that by the way, they're never ever satisfied or happy with this word anyway. They're not. Even if they bother to get married, which many of them don't, most of them have sex a lot, even before they get married. Did you know that? And then some continue on and on after they get married, going with what they call other partners. And sometimes even boys and boys and girls and girls. And you know that. So these are the people who are asking the question. So let's be patient with them and consider where it's coming from. Now let me give you an example on how to answer the question. First of all, it is a very degrading thing to hear such a thing, but be patient. Be patient and say to them, thank you for asking me about my religion. They'll be surprised because they came in a very bad way and they knew it. But yet, look how nice you were. You said, thank you for asking me about my religion. In Islam... We have two things that are very important. We have the truth. If I don't tell you the truth, I can go to hell forever. So it's very imperative for me to always say the truth to you. Then we have something that you can verify whether I told you the truth or not. It's called proof. We have the truth and we have the proof. And the proof of Islam is preserved in oral 
and written tradition for over 1,400 years. The Quran, which means recitation, by the way, has been recited, memorized, and passed down generation upon generation, mouth to ear, from father to son, from teacher to student, on and on and on, exactly verbatim, word for word, letter for letter, jot for jot and dot for dot. Preserved. Exactly. With no mistake. The same holds true for Hadith. Sayings, teachings, and interpretation of Quran by Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him, they also were memorized and passed on. These also are in written form. If I said it wrong, I guarantee you somebody would tell me, no, you made a mistake. It's alayhum. You said alaykum. You said alayhim. It's alaykum. You, you say, well, it's very similar. No, it's not. It's Arabic. We know the difference between whom and kum and him and whom. It's very clear. In fact, him and whom is spelled the same. It's just how you pronounce it. This is how critical it is. Preserved perfectly. No such document exists in any other religion, society or government that's preserved like this. It's true. Doesn't exist. Now, the next thing, you've told them about the truth and the proof. Tell them that every question that you present for Islam will have an answer. We don't have something called mystical things in Islam that don't have any answers that you just have to have blind faith and follow it. That's not how it works. There is an answer for each thing. Just because I don't know the answer doesn't mean there's no answer. But certainly if we talk to our scholars, our learned men and women, we have women scholars, by the way, in Islam, we can ask them and they can tell us what the answers to the questions are. So we can share that with the people and let them know about the truth and the proof. Additionally, we should let them know that many times questions cannot really be answered for another reason. Now the best way here is to give an example to the people so they can realize how preposterous it is for us to try to answer something that is not applicable. Example. Ask them, can you answer a question for me with just a yes or a no. And I say, okay. Is your mother out of jail yet? My mother's never been in. No, 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 no. Yes or no? Is your mother out of jail? Well, no, she's never been in. I, I, yes or no? Your mother's out of jail? She's not in jail, therefore she... Okay. Ask me again. Is your mother out of jail? Yes. Well, I'm glad she got out. Think about it. Is that ridiculous? I can't answer such a question as that. That's a ridiculous question. And it's preposterous and actually it's very insulting. I'll tell you what, in some countries, 
In some countries, even to mention somebody's mother like this could start a little small feud or a war. You just don't talk like that. So here we have something that needs to be straightened out before we even talk about it. And this is the case exactly for this question. Let's examine it again. The word sex. I just told you. In Islam, there is no sex without marriage. This is called forbidden or haram. A punishable sin. No different than the Bible. I mention the Bible because a lot of people don't know about Islam, but they, they do know there's something called the Bible. The Constitution of the United States of America was put together by men who were very strong believers in their Bible. Many of them pastors and preachers, ministers, and when they came together they wanted to ensure certain kinds of rights and freedoms and yet within certain limitations that they were putting this thing together and it's exactly the concept that Islam comes with. It's called rights and limits. But today people have forgotten about the limits. All they want is the rights. I want my rights. What about the limits? I don't care about limits. I just want rights. It means you don't want to be fair. And these same people who were looking at their Bible were doing nothing different than Muslims today who look to the Sharia of Islam. And that is when something is nushuz, odd, weird, out of place, evil, it needs to be dealt with. No different than people today trying to look in the West at how to deal with evil situations that come up. How do you deal with it? I'm living in an area called Northern Virginia, which is close to Washington, D.C., and we're hearing on the television every day about rapes, sexual abuse, robbery, muggings, killings, and a person just going out to run or jog and they don't make it back. They're either in the hospital or the morgue. Daily. It's not about did it happen, it's how many times today it happened. And what does, what does their law say about it? And just as it's a serious situation for them, it has always been a situation in human beings, there are people who do evil things. So there are punishments. And when people break these laws, they have punishments. If you run through a red light, they have a punishment, yes or no? And so, when we use this term like the way it's been presented here, it's obvious that you're talking about an old person going around abusing little children. And this is totally forbidden. And if a person practices something like this, they need to be taken out of society. Whether they lock them up or if they uh, put them to death, uh, this is up to the particular society they live in. Some states, even the United States, are, don't have the death penalty and others do. Some have longer incarceration periods than others. I work as a prison chaplain. I, I know how it is from state to state. It's different. But the point is, there's punishment. So let us now come to the situation and look at it a little closer. What they're talking about, they'll refer to it. There's something called a hadith or teaching or saying in Islam from Muhammad. And it refers to something that's in, recorded in Sahih al-Bukhari. And this means the verified authentic teachings or sayings of Muhammad by Imam Bukhari. 
And they will tell you whether it says in there that Aisha was ready lahano, Allah be pleased with her, was six years old when she got married to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu This is what they said. Now you say, well, okay, now you've already introduced something totally different than your question. You said married. You didn't ask me what do I say about somebody with a marriage. You ask about somebody with sex. So let's look at that. The other thing is you referred to a hadith. Now when you refer to hadith, that's really easy because those are recorded and preserved as I've already shared with you. It's well known and well established what was said. But I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know who said it? Because we do. The science, the discipline of collecting, recording, and preserving these hadith has been going on for over 1,200 years. It's the basis for collecting information that's used in many of the disciplines of science today. Whether in astronomy, or medicine, or geology, anthropology, the very science of collecting information is based on this foundation developed by Imam Bukhari. Maybe you're not interested to know that. This is not a class in Hadith. But I'll tell you, even eBay bases their principles on the same principles established by this great Imam. And it's a, what it is it's in eBay is a discipline of reviewing your trading practices over and over and then elevating you to a higher status as you have proven your integrity in your dealings. And when a person's integrity reaches a high level, then they are having this good status on eBay. And likewise, when a person's integrity is very high in the collection of hadith, then we trust what they say. Simple as that. Let us look to the hadith that you're talking about. You're speaking about one which is on the authority of, narrated by, repeated to us on the authority of Aisha. Herself. She said it. So the question now becomes, are you going to take her word for what is being said? Will you take her word for it? Is it admissible evidence in a court? If a girl comes to you and says, this happened to me, will you take her testimony? If a girl went to the police station today and said when I was six years old something happened to me and they said well ma'am how old are you now she said I'm 68 Aisha was narrating this when she was old by the way just so you know that are we going to accept the testimony of an elder an old woman May Allah have mercy on her and be pleased with her. Are we going to accept that from her? At such an age, how do we know that she has such a good memory? Are we going to accept it, yes or no? And ask him, do you accept it? Because she's the only one saying this. Are you going to accept it? We do, by the way. We totally accept it. We have no doubt on it. We're accepting it 100%. Okay? But do you accept it from her? And if you do, 
Are you accepting everything she says or just certain testimony? Are you considering her a, a hostile witness? She said many things. Do you believe the other things she said too? Do you know anything about her? We do. In fact, we know everything about her. From the time she was born until the time she died. We know everything about her. And her level of integrity with us is higher than the highest rating of anybody on eBay. Got me? But my question is to you, do you accept what she says? Because one of the most beautiful things she ever said, which we understand completely is, La ilaha illallah. She said there's a God, a real God, and that you should worship God, Him, without any partners. She said that. Do you say that? Do you agree with that? Or do you disagree with that? And if you disagree with some of her statements, then how can you take other statements that she said? By the way, at this stage, they're going, huh? They weren't ready for this, were they? In fact, I dare say nobody was ready for me to tell you this tonight, were you? It presents a whole new light on a situation. But Allah says in the Quran, the truth shall come. And it will destroy falsehood. Truth always destroys falsehood. The problem, my dear respected brothers and sisters in Islam, the problem lies not with them, it lies with us. For not taking the time to find the truth. To do the research, lightweight, it's not heavy, if I can do it, you can do it. Now let us look to the answer and see what we find. Let's go and find out exactly what happened. Are you ready? We'll go to Sahih Bukhari. There are nine volumes in English. And Arabic is there with it. If you'd like to compare to be sure it says what it says. And for the benefit of those who want to attack Islam and say it's oppressive to women, it's Aisha who is telling about covering the faces of the women in Sahih Bukhari. You accept that from her too, by the way. Because many times it's women coming in attacking Islam with this subject. We mention this lady, are you going to accept what she says? Because she also said women have to cover, and she mentioned covering the faces as well. Volume 6, chapter 220, hadith number 182, just in case you didn't think I knew what I was talking about. Go look it up. Now let's come back. It's Ayesha who tells us, and let's read the hadith in the context of what was said. She said, I was a little girl, around six years old is what she says. She was outside playing in the dirt. Her mother, pay attention to the characters in the story here, okay? Her mother came to her and took her inside the house. And then her father was there, mother and father. And they, the parents, were offering her hand in marriage to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, whose wife had died and he was alone. His wife had passed away, Khadija. Let us now examine him a little bit here because he's being mentioned here and in a very derogatory way. We know for a fact 
He never had any sex whatsoever until he was 25 years old and he was married to Lady Khadija. First. Not like people today sample before you buy. No, no. It's not, it's not permissible in Islam. And he never did such a thing. He was married to her for about 25 years. And in all those years, he never had a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And I wanted you to ask a question. How many 50-year-old people in the West today could honestly say they never, ever did such a thing? Never had sex outside of marriage in their life or tried to huh so this person asking you the question needs to shut up where they're standing because they know they're more guilty than anybody in fact that's one of the reasons why they ask you the question because those things are bothering them so don't accuse the prophet of Islam with some of your own hang ups okay let's move forward keep going to the hadith and look at it she says and then they took her back outside and she went back to playing again. Did you see anything in this story about sex? In fact, you have to have a very sick mind to read that into there. When a mother and a father are offering their daughter's hand in marriage and then she goes back out and play. Obviously, it didn't happen, did it? There wasn't even marriage, much less sex. Where did you get this story? Well, it was on the internet. Oh, the internet. Okay, well, there's a reliable source. Next time you've got a problem and you feel like doing something, don't come to Islam. Just go to google.com and type in sex and have a good time. Forget about it. Now let us keep going though. There's another hadith in Sahih Bukhari. Also on the order of Aisha. Another one by Lady Aisha. She's by the way called by Prophet Muhammad. Peace be upon him. Mother of the believers. Yet she never had a child. You can't prove she ever had any sex with anybody because she never had a child. Do you know anything about their relationship? Let's look. Now she says she's nine years old. And her mother comes to her and she goes in the same story again. And this time she does get married. So now you've got a question mark. Which story is true? Is there an error here? No. There's no error. Can there be two occasions? And in fact, that's what it was. First occasion, it wasn't permitted because you see, Islam comes to be an example for all people in all places in all times. The people of those times had the custom of marrying a child, a girl, at any age. Even if she was newborn, they could marry her. Marriage for them wasn't about sex. That wasn't the big deal. It was about property. Because they wanted to take the property of the little orphan girls. They wanted to take the property away from families and they could do that through marriage. That's why they did it. As far as sex is concerned, they treated women like dirt anyway. Women had no rights. They were treated like animals. 
herded together, traded, bought, swapped, borrowed money against them like you do a piece of property. If somebody comes over, you really like the guys, and swell, hey, take a couple of my wives with you. What is that? Seriously, I'm not joking. They thought so low of the women that if a girl was born to their family, it was a disgrace. And the custom was for the ignorant Arabs to take the little girl, newborn, out into the desert and bury her in the sand. Bury her alive and leave her to die. That was their custom. And Islam forbid all of this. The verse that I already read to you, O you who believe you can't inherit women against their will. It's chapter 4, verse 19. Makes it clear that a girl cannot be put into a situation of marriage until she's old enough to decide for herself. You've got to come back later. And that's exactly what happened here. Exactly what happened. She wasn't old enough to have children. Therefore, she wasn't considered old enough to make such a decision. There are two things that have to be present in order for a girl to get married. First, she has to have her monthly cycle. Second, she has to be mature enough in her thinking to make such a decision. And it's not up to her parents to make the decision for her. She has to make it for herself and she has to be determined to be mature enough to do so. And Islam gave us the example of the oldest and the youngest. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, did marry a woman who was very, very old. So old that she didn't even care about sex, didn't have sex, couldn't have babies. And he married her. Didn't have sex with her, by the way. We know this. I mean, if you want to get, you get all happy hearing this word sex over and over, we can talk about it. But he did not. But it's not right in Islam to be alone with any woman, regardless and he wanted to care for this woman, so he married her so it was proper for him to be alone with her and comfort her, hold her, hug her, kiss her, take care of her, feed her, and he did so until she passed away. So, so, that's one extreme. The other extreme would be the youngest. What's the youngest you can marry? And Aisha was old enough in the second hadith, the second condition, to meet the requirements. And when they got married, did they have sex? Read again many hadith from Aisha. Read again what she said. When we got married, we used to play together, she said. And we used to run and he used to chase after me and I'd chase after him, but I would always beat him in the races till I got older and when I got older, I became heavier and then he could beat me in the races. That's what she said. She tells a story about how she made him stand in one spot for a long time in the doorway so she could look over his shoulder to watch some men who were doing some sporting competition. She said she didn't care about the event. She just wanted to see how long she could make him stand there. This is in the same hadith. She talks about really some tricks that she played on him. Even got some of her other friends involved in these same things. But this isn't the subject we're talking about tonight. But she was a mischievous girl having fun. Now let us look at something. Muhammad, peace be upon him, himself says that when you marry a young girl like this, that you must be very gentle with her and raise her up properly. And he talks about how to handle a young girl in the kindest way. And then he talks about having sex in general with your wives and how you must be gentle and you don't just go to them like, you know, and he explained in detail. 
so that men knew how to respect their wives and go to them properly and for the wives to have enjoyment as well. Do we find this from any teaching in the previous revelations that's still existing today? No, we don't. But we have it now. Also, what to do before and what to do after sex. How to clean yourself. How to prepare yourself. Do we find this in the other teachings? No, we don't. In fact, it's from Aisha. May Allah be pleased with her. That we know how to do these things because she was the biggest scholar of this subject. She was a scholar of Islam. The biggest of the women scholars ever in Islam. People used to go to her all the time for information and she used to give speeches about Islam. So if anybody says, can a woman give a speech? She did it all the time. In a proper way. So this is not new. I want to try to stay focused on my subject tonight because I can deviate real quick and go into some other areas which are also very interesting for us but I want to particularly focus on this. It's from Aisha that we learn the wonderful way that a woman should respect, honor, and obey her husband. Because in her entire life, and then you can go look all 2200 and some odd hadith that she narrates, not one time did she ever say a single disparaging word against her husband, the Prophet of Islam. Peace be upon him. How many women can say they've never ever said anything bad against their husband? Or implied anything, even in a joke, against their husband, and she never did. Is it true or false? Not once. And he, Sallallahu Alaihi peace be upon him, also never said bad things against her. They didn't quote-unquote cheat on each other. They didn't go out looking, playing the field, trolling the malls, like what we see today. In fact, I would like to share with you, it is the most beautiful story a romance and love that I have ever encountered. I dare say that if you were to take these hadith, all of them, from her, from Muhammad Sallallahu and all of the companions that knew them through their married life, and those that knew her for the next 40 some years that she lived after his death, Let's take what she said, what he said, all of these recordings, and remove this, their names, so that people won't know who it was, and the places, so they won't know where, and the dates, so they won't know when, and just take it as a general story of a man and a woman. Take the story, the combination of all these hadith together, and then present that to any psychiatrist, psychologist, social worker or marriage counselor whom you know and ask them to consider this story. And what will they say? And you will be surprised because they will say, oh, wow, 
This is the story Shakespeare should have written instead of Romeo and Juliet. Because in this story, they don't commit suicide. In fact, when they die, it's very beautiful and they know that they're going to live in the hereafter happily ever after. It's the story you wish you had. It's the romance you wish you had for yourself. You wish you had such a relationship. Where did you get such a beautiful story? Then what will you say? And by the way, if while you were listening to the answer to this question, you found yourself saying, gee, I like that. Gee, that makes sense to me. That certainly is a wonderful thing. I didn't know that. This makes sense. Then I wonder... What else would make sense to you if you just knew the truth? There is a God. He did create everything. And He sent messages to the people. The same message over and over. Worship God alone without partners. No gods beside God. That's the first commandment. Chapter 20 in the book of Exodus. It's the first commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's the first commandment mentioned by Jesus according to the Bible today in Mark chapter 12 verse 29. Know, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God and you have to love Him or worship Him with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. That's what it says. And it's a quote straight out of Deuteronomy. Have you not considered... Worshipping your God alone without partners. After all, the person you asked me about brought that message. Both of them confirmed it. The man and the woman said, there is a God. Worship Him on His terms. Isn't it time for you to rethink your position? Think about it. And while you're at it, we can give you this card and give them a card or a CD you're welcome to copy our CDs and let them learn about Islam. And if you don't have card, CD, tape or anything with you, you can still tell them. It's real easy to remember. Just always, hear what I said, always remember Islam, always. Islamalways.com and let them go find the truth about Islam. In Alhamdulillah, Yerubbil Alameen, Huwaladi Ja'alana Muslimin, it's Allah who made us Muslim and we thank Him for that. And may He guide the people to all truth. Amen.